It's Mark chapter 2, one through 12. verses 1 through 12, the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Amen. When you be blessed by the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Now in your bulletins, you'll see uh, a different title and a different passage of scripture after uh, thanking and praying and talking with a number of people. Uh, this message was changed for the very reason of what we just signed up for, small groups. And one of our core values here at Palace Chapel is missional driven. And we want to be a, a group of people that stay on mission with God into our community. And so we talked about it last week, that the mission of God has always been to glorify Him. That's to know Him. That's the mission of God. And being on mission with God, that means we're going to take that mission to glorify God into a lost city and a lost world. That's what He tells us in Acts 1, right? In Acts 1, He says, I'm going to give you all the power to go into all of Judea, all of Samaria, to take the gospel message to those who have still not heard it. And so for us here at Powell's Chapel, we exist to know God, that's to worship God, to glorify God, but we also exist to make Him known, not just here, but around the world. And so one of the ways that we are going to do that is through these small groups. You know, there's, there's no way for us here at Powell's Chapel to know everyone and know the needs of everyone. And so my desire, my hope is to take all these small groups so that we sit around in a smaller circle and we really get to know the needs of each other. And how do we then care for the needs of each other? We see that here in this passage in Mark chapter 2. And so this morning we're going to look at what does it mean for us to be missional? What does it mean for us to live on mission with God and be driven into His community. We embrace God's mission to know Him, and we understand what the mission of God is and what the demands of God are, and therefore we become His ambassadors. Is that not what He tells us through Paul in chapter uh, 5 of 2 Corinthians? First, uh, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. And what does it mean to be an ambassador? It means that we're going to represent God. Right? At the UN, all those people in the UN are ambassadors. They represent their country and what their country stands for before the rest of the world. And God has called us to be those ambassadors. And so we are to be God's ambassadors in this lost world. 
But what are we to do as God calls us to be ambassadors? He tells us here, Paul tells us, to, to be ambassadors for, for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And what's God's appeal? That we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So we, as God's children, as God's ambassadors, as God's church, we are to go out and bring the message of what? Reconciliation. Reconciliation is we take into the world that they are lost and apart from God forever. It's the gospel. And the gospel goes into the world and says, hey, there is a Savior that's come to save you from your lost ways, from your sinful condition. Right? Do we all believe our sinful condition is what separates us from God? If we really believe our sinful condition uh, separates us from God, we need an ambassador to implore us to be reconciled to a holy God. And so that's what we want to do. We want to be God's ambassadors and to live on mission with God. God's mission has never changed. It's always been to glorify himself. You want to know why man, why he created man? It wasn't because God was lonely and needed something to do. He wasn't in heaven and thought, man, what do I need to do today? He thought, man, I want to glorify myself, and the way to glorify myself is to make Adam and to make Eve. So he made Adam and Eve. He made humanity to bring himself glory. So that's never changed. And then when Adam and Eve decided to sin against the holy God. They wrecked their relationship with God and they needed reconciliation. So in that moment, God was glorified and God said, now I want to reconcile lost man to myself. But he's reconciling us to himself, not for your sake, but for his glory. That changes everything. See, your salvation isn't about you or me, it's about God's glory. And therefore, if we live with that idea that I have been saved by God through Christ Jesus to bring him glory, then my mindset will change for the lost world. See, we're not saving people to get them out of hell. We're saving people. We're being ministry uh, of reconciliation to bring them to God so that they can give God glory. Getting out of hell is secondary. Right? If we just save them from hell and offer them nothing else, how boring is that? Right? That's not what God's call is on your life. It isn't to call them from hell. It's to call them to glory. See, hell is hell because God doesn't exist there. And so we're not calling them away from hell. We're calling them to something much bigger than themselves. And so we live on that mission with God to be reconcilers of the great gift that God has bestowed to you and to me of no choice of our own. We talked about that last week. Like God uses you and me as his instrument, his mouthpiece to a lost world. And he does the saving. He does the choosing. He does all the rest of it. I just got to preach the word of God. And so where does that leave us today? You know, we have four values here at the church. And they're going a little bit out of order. The first and foremost is one of our core values is to glorify God. 
Like if, if you want to know our foundation, our foundation is God himself. But now there's these four pillars that here at Powell's Chapel, we're going to hang everything on. And if one of these four pillars breaks, then everything else around us is going to crumble down. We need the foundation, but now we live our lives with these four pillars. One of the pillars is to glorify God. The next one is to be gospel-centered, to know the truth of God. Because the truth of God is going to push us to glorify God, and it's also going to cause us to live on mission with God. And so that's the third pillar, is to be missional people, to be mission-driven. And the last one is to do this, is to make disciples. Not to make believers, to make disciples. To be a disciple-making church. Not a believing-making church, but those that would come out from the teaching of God's Word to really live their lives according to God's Word. That's a disciple. And so those are four values. is to glorify God, to be gospel-centered, to live on mission with God, and to make disciples in all the world. And so today we're going to look at this one in particular. What does it look like for us to be mission-driven? The, 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 the title of the message this morning is a loving community. To be on mission with God, we must be a loving community. You see, we, we can be on mission with God and, or be on mission in particular. And if we don't have love, we have nothing. First John tells us that. And so we don't want to just do small groups. Or we don't want to just want to do these groups and not be driven by love. We want to be loving in our mission. We want to be loving in our small group. And so what would it really look like for us this morning to be a loving community? See, we see that in this passage. There's several things that jump out. What does it look like? What does it mean for us to be a loving community? Let's read again. We see this first in verse, uh, verse 3. So here's the, the context. Here's the setting that Jesus is in this house and Jesus is preaching the word. And he's teaching them the, 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 the idea. His message never changed. Repent for this kingdom of God is near. Everywhere he went, we see that throughout the gospel, that he would say over and over, repent, the kingdom of God is near. We, we see that at the very end of the passage. Uh, we see that in, in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, it's the same story. And they say this, the, the gospel writer says this, do it as if you're waiting for the day of his return. So he's saying, repent for the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so all these people from this community have gathered to hear Jesus. That's the context. So think of it. That he's in this small house preaching the word of God. And then it says in verse 3, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. The first thing that we must do as a gospel-centered, loving community is this. We must be available. It's the availability. We must be available. Catch that in that passage. These four men, these four friends of this paralyzed men were available to be love in that community. And that community in that moment was one man laying on a mat. They were available. You see, they had to give up their time. They had to give up their energy. They had to give up their efforts. I don't know if they took a day off of the work, but they were available because they saw the need of this individual. Which strikes the question for me. Am I available? Do, do I make time for kingdom work? 
Do I, do I take time out of my busy life to become available to be used by God to be in a loving community with people? You see, being in community, really being in community, is really messy. See, when I really sit down one-on-one or two-on-one or three-on-one with someone, it gets really messy really quickly. Because then it's no longer me preaching from the pulpit to you. It's now me interacting with you and you interacting with me. And my life is messy, just to let y'all know. I know I clean up nice on Sunday, but the re- I mean, I'm a messy dude. My, my life is messy. I'm not saying my life is sinful. My life is messy. And what I mean by that, there's a lot of heartache in me. You see, when I, when I cry for people and I cry for my family, that's messy. But I need people in my life that are available for how messy I get with them. You see, one of the greatest gifts God's ever given to me, and it's also one of the greatest heartbreaks of my entire life, is becoming an addict. Nine years ago, I entered into a treatment facility for three months. That's a long time. And you talk about my life being messy. My life was messy. My life was a disaster. But what happened was when I began to sit down and begin to share how messy my story was with other people, man, there's this moment of healing for me. You see, being 15 years old in an airport being abandoned by your parents, that leaves a lot of mess for a long time. That gets really messy. Because then I begin to live my life through this way. I'm never going to be available to anybody else. Because when I got available with my parents, they abandoned me. And so my whole mindset was, if I live messy with other people, man, they will reject me and get rid of me as fast as possible. But when I began to sit with nine other guys in a treatment center, they became available to me. They began to have these two words, me too. Me too. Two of the most healing words I've ever heard in my entire life. Me too. And I'd go to AA meetings, and I'd go to SA meetings, and I'd go to NA meetings as an addict, full of people, that all they were saying to me was, me too. Me too. They were available for me. There are many nights or those three months and for the last nine years of getting on a phone and just talking about my mess and the guy on the other end saying, me too. You're not alone. You're not alone. You see the availability. The same way these four men were available to bring their friend to Jesus. Now I say that's one of the greatest gifts God's ever given to me, but it's one of the greatest heartbreaks I've ever had in my life. Because I'd go to meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. And I said, man, we can say me too all day. But until you push me to the gospel, the me too doesn't matter. Right? I can do all the steps in recovery to get recovered. But if I don't get the gospel, I'll never have true recovery. 
And so I sat with these men and I sat with these women that said, me too, and were available to me. But I would leave the room and my heart would be broken because I'm like, where is that availability in here, the church? I broke my heart. And so the first thing, but we must have to have, I'll get to the last two. The last two of this passage separates us from a, a, a worldly community to a gospel community. You see, the, the world has established places that they can be available. AA is available. There is millions upon millions upon millions of meetings all over the world for AA. You talk about available, they're available. So God first calls us to be available. Are you available for the mess? The next one is this. The fourth one. So they're available. They bring their friend to Jesus. In verse 4, And when they could not get near him, Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the, the, the roof above Jesus. When they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralyzed man was on. So the second thing is not only were they available, but now they were sacrificial. You see the sacrifice they made? How many times in my life have obstacles come in my way and I don't make the sacrifice to continue moving people towards Christ? Like, oh man, what will they think about me? What will they say about me? Will they care Will, will I make sacrifices to go the extra mile? You see, these four men made a sacrifice to get their friend to Jesus. They didn't just stop when they saw the crowd at the door. They didn't just stop when they saw the crowd in the courtyard. They didn't just stop when they saw that the room was packed full of people. They said, man, we've got to sacrifice our lives to get our friend to Jesus. They were available and they made sacrifices. You think about the sacrifice they made. See, carrying around a paralyzed man wasn't cool back in the day. It's not cool now either. But they put their reputation, their sacrifice, their reputation because of the friend that was laying on the mat. See, a paralyzed man was an unclean man. An unclean man said, you can't get to Jesus if you're unclean. And if you get around unclean people, you're unclean. And these men said, we don't care about that. We care about the man laying on the mat. And so we're going to sacrifice ourselves for that man. And then they walked up the side of the house to the roof. And then they make another sacrifice. See, it cost them that day to dig a hole in the roof. That cost them some money. I don't know about you, but someone comes knocking on my, my window and bashes the window out. There's an expectation. Hey, man, you can come in, but now you've got to kind of fix what you just damaged. And so these men made a sacrifice financially to bring their man to Jesus. It took them an effort. I mean, to lower a man down a hole takes physical effort. Not just money effort, but it took physical effort. It took physical time. They gave up their time, their money, their status. They sacrificed. You see, to be in a loving community, we must be available, but we also must make sacrifices. Are we willing to make sacrifices? You see, the last two separate us from the rest of the world. 
You see, how, how do I know that? Because today, all over Houston, there's a lot of people that are available. And there's a lot of people making sacrifices. I mean, there's been millions and millions and millions of dollars raised in an effort to help people. That's a sacrifice. And there's, million, there's a, a, a million people there on the ground sacrificing their time through their availability. They just passed out water. But see, these next two are what will separate the church from the rest of the world. What are the next two? We must be faith-filled. See, that's, what, that's, the, that's the defining marker. That's the, that's the line in the sand from us, from the rest of the world. Are we faith-filled? You see, what do you, what do you mean by that, you might ask me? What does it mean to be a faith-filled community? It says this in verse 5. And when Jesus saw, underline this, highlight this, write it in bold, and you write, overwrite it, sing the faith in their friends, save their friends. And what did they have faith in? Their faith was that God could do for them what they could not do for themselves or for their friends. They had faith that Jesus was his only answer, not one of the answers. You see, they realized that, hey, if we get our friend to Jesus, we have a faith in us that says Jesus can do for him what no one on the planet can do for him. Do we have that faith, church? Do we really have a faith that says God is going to do what only God can? can do no man can do what god can do and that's save people do we believe that church that's god's business to save people not yours or mine ours has to be a faith that's full available and sacrificial that we would take all of our lost people to the feet of jesus and then wait to see what jesus would do out of our faith that jesus will do what he's always said he would do and that's bring lost people to himself do we believe that, church? Where's our faith, church? Do you have faith that you're going to do it? Because if you do, you're crazy. Do you have faith that Christ can do it? Or we've gotten so distant from who God is and who God says he is that we no longer really, really, really believe that Christ can save people. Do we think some show's going to save them? Some church building's going to save them? Some Bible study's going to save them? Some you fill in the blank is going to save them? No, the only salvation they have is in Christ, in Christ alone. And that's what these four men understood. They understood if we can just get a friend to Jesus, Jesus can do something about his condition. And you see, our spiritual condition as lost people is a thousand times worse than being paralyzed. Do we get that? Man, give me paralyzation all day, every day, but don't take my faith in Jesus Christ away from me. I'd rather die with the assurance of going to heaven than I would be to walk free and have no faith in Christ at all. But do we believe that, church? Do we, the church, have a faith that's full of the gospel and the gospel can do for mankind what mankind 
cannot do for themselves. Do we realize, do we realize our wretched, wretched, wretched condition? Think about that for a moment, church. Our wretchedness before holy God, that ought to terrify us. I was talking to uh, Frank this week, and we were talking about this idea, and I love this quote that he shared with me from a, a, a great theologian, Dr. Spurgeon. And Dr. Spurgeon was asked this question, you know, there's that passage in the text that says, hey, it, it, Dr. Spurgeon, what about that text that says, you know, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated? What do we do with that passage? And we can look all day at the passage, that, the latter half of the passage, the hate part of the passage. We've got to ask the question, what about the love part of the passage? God loved me in spite of me? That ought to do something in all of our hearts. Think about that. God chose you in his divine love for you. Why did you, why God, why did you choose me? Why did you choose to love me? Think about that for a moment. God in his sovereignty chose to love you and send his only begotten son for you. But we'll spend all day about the hate part. Let's spend some time talking about how much God has loved us and saved us in spite of us. Do we realize we've done nothing to earn our salvation? You see, this man laying on the mat didn't deserve to be healed by God. But he had friends that knew, man, if God did it for me, God could do it for this guy. And so they brought him all the way to Jesus. They had a faith that said God will love him unconditionally. And what does it say? It says what? In the passage, verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, not his faith, but their faith, what does he say to the man? Your sins are forgiven. In that moment, Jesus did something way more than his physical condition. He changed his eternal outlook on life. He changed his eternity in that moment based on the four men that brought their friend to Jesus. Does that not do something in our hearts? And so with being a faith-filled community, there's two things. We must be persistent. Let's keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. And the second one is this. We must be creative. That, that's creativity to get their friend to Jesus. Okay, I got a good idea. Let's go up on the side of the house, walk up the stairs, and A, as best as possible, dig a hole and then find the resources around us to lower our friend to Jesus. I don't think that's what they went intending to do when they picked their friend up on the street corner. I don't think they had all the supplies and thought to themselves, hey, the best way to get to Jesus is to dig a hole and lower him through the house. But they got creative when they were pushed to get creative. Will we be creative in our faith? You see, Christ himself, God himself, was creative. Sacrificial, available. 
you see the creativity in God said, hey, the way it's always been for you to make sacrifices to me and that will cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. That's what Jared read to us. But God got creative in his creativity. He said the way through salvation will only be through Christ Jesus, my only begotten son. That's his plan of salvation. But it was through God's creativity to save wretched sinners like us that saved us. Well, we do the same. And the last one is this. When we live lives as a loving community that are sacrificial, that are available, that are faith-filled, it's going to do something in that community. Let's look at verse 12. What did their faith and their sacrifice and their availability do to that community? Verse 12. And he arose and immediately, this is the man that had just been saved, just been healed, just it was from not able to walk to walk, a paralyzed man to being able to get up off of his mat and walk around. And when he rose and immediately picked up his mat, he went out before them all so that they all were amazed and glorified God. And they said, we have never seen anything like this. Look at all the moments of the we, the they, and this one verse. Let's count them. It says this, when he got up and he rose and immediately picked up his mat, he went out before them all. That them all in that passage means everyone that was in the house, even the scribes and even the Pharisees, the whole community was there and they saw these four men's faith and they saw what their faith in Christ and what Christ could do in Christ alone. And they all saw it. And he went out before them all. And then what happened when he went out before them all? It says then they were all full of amazement. Do you see that in the passage? They were all full of amazement. And when they were all full of amazement, what did they do? They all glorified God. Because of four men's faith in, a resurre- in, in, a, in Christ the King. And what Christ the King did for the man. The whole community. Because of these four men living on the mission of God, to know God and to glorify Him and to make Him known, the whole community was impacted because of four guys. Do you see that in the passage? All of them, it says. All means all. Okay, you want a little Greek lesson? All always means all. There's no like maybe, it's another word. No, all in the Greek means all in the English language. And so it says, all of them were amazed, and all of them glorified God. And it started because these four men lived in a loving community with a paralyzed man. I just began to wonder and ponder over that verse for us, Powell's Chapel. What would it look like, church? For us to live in a community through these small groups, through this church on Sunday morning, through all that we do, that we would be an available community. We'd just be available. You see, here's one of the premises of God's Word God is going to do what God is going to do through all of God's people. See, God is going to use us. 
We are his primary instruments to getting the gospel message out. And if our only desire is to come here and to gather here on a Sunday morning, then we're not fulfilling the mission of God. This place on a Sunday morning is for us to gather and to worship God, but it is to cause a stir in our hearts that pushes us out of this place into a lost world. We are to gather so that we can scatter. Let me say that again. We gather so that we can scatter. And if all that we're doing is on a one hour and 15 minute morning meeting is to come here and gather and we do not scatter, then we're not fulfilling the mission of God. And so all that we do here at the church is for that purpose. It's to gather so that we can scatter. And so one of the ways we're going to do that is through small groups. We're going to gather in homes, gather here, gather wherever we do so that we can go and scatter to fulfill the mission of God. But it's going to start with us going back to two weeks. Do we glorify God in all that we do? You see, if all that we do in a small group is come and we just hang out and we just eat and we just fellowship, that's not enough. That's not enough. How do I know that? That's what AA does. You want some good coffee? Go to AA. You'll have the best coffee on the planet. But that's not enough. You see, if all that we do on Sunday nights as we come together and we gather is just fellowship, we won't fulfill the mission of God. Those small groups are for us to gather, to glorify God, and then to go and make Him known. That's what we're here to do. And historically, since I've been here, Sunday nights for us have not been a great place to gather and then to go scatter. And so, again, if in five months this doesn't work, I promise we'll, we'll do something else. For the sake of gathering and scattering. So that we can take the gospel message to the four corners of the world to give every man, woman, and child an opportunity to hear the gospel, to see the gospel, and then to respond to the gospel message. That's what we do what we do for. If you want to know why do they do Sunday morning, it's so that we could present the gospel to every man, woman, and child. What do we do uh, the children's church for? Same reason. What do we do the movie nights for? Same reason. Everything that we do here at the church is for that primary purpose, is to gather to glorify God and then to scatter, to give every man, woman, and child an opportunity to hear, see, and respond to the gospel message. That's what these four men did. Somewhere along their journey, they had gathered and had such an impact with Christ that they had to scatter and take it to their friend. And in taking it to their friend, they brought their friend to the feet of Jesus. And bringing their friend to the feet of Jesus, Jesus did what they could not do for the friend, and that was to save their friend. You see, they were coming that day to save him from his uh, paralyzed state, but he left both in a better spiritual condition and a physical condition. But it rested on their faith, which rested in their love for their friend and their love for Christ Jesus. And so church, are we a place that's available, that's sacrificial, that's faith-filled, and is worshipable? Because that will lead us to what it tells us to do in Hebrews. Hebrews 10 says this, And let us consider how we stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, 
as some have the habit to do. But encourage one another, and all the more, till you see the day of judgment coming. You see, we gather so that we can glorify God and take his gospel message to the four corners of the world. You see, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to come and we're going to be reminded of what Christ has done through us through the Lord's Supper. This morning, we're going to do it a little different. Uh, I'm going to ask that if you have a child in uh, the nursery, you'll go get your child. And then if you, Jerry, will go and dismiss uh, the children, all the children and all of God's people are going to come and take the Lord's Supper together. You see, this is so important for me. Over the last several weeks, I've been thinking about this idea. There's two things that God has given to us as sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Two sacraments that remind us constantly of what God did for us. And I don't know about you, but I want my two children, Tennyson and Cedar, to see me partake in the Lord's Supper and for me to let them know when they ask, they're going to ask. Tennyson is a a very curious girl. Hey, what do we take the the bread and, and the juice for? I get to say to her, because of what Christ Jesus did for me. And when she sees baptism, Daddy, why do we put people in water? That seems so silly. No, Tennyson, it's because we want to remember that when we were dead in our transgression, when Christ saved us, we were buried in his likeness, and we raise again, and that raising out of the water is our remembrance of what Christ did for us. These two sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism, are a reminder of what Christ did for us. And so today, when the children come, this is for the believers. Let me say that one more time. Don't allow your child to take this if they're not a believer, they have not trusted in Christ as their Savior. This, this doesn't do anything for them. And if you're not a believer here, please do not partake in the Lord's Supper. This is for us, the believer, to be reminded of what Christ did for us. There's another passage that talks about the Lord's Supper. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul walks us through. He says, For I have received from the Lord... What I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper and said, this is the cup, the new covenant, the new promise, my blood. Do it as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And he says this in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body, the blood of the Lord. Let a a person examine himself or herself then before they eat the bread or drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself or herself. You see, we don't just take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. We don't just take the Lord's Supper because we've always taken the Lord's Supper. As we come to the table this morning, we must examine ourselves. Is there anything in you, is there anything in me that would disqualify me, that sin that would disqualify me from taking the Lord's Supper? And if there is, this is an opportunity for you to repent, to cry out to a holy God and confession to a holy God, God, my life does not represent you and therefore God I cannot in a holy way take the Lord's Supper if that's you confess it get right with God and again if you're not a believer here this morning 
This table is not for you. This bread, this juice is not for you. That's not because we don't love you. That's not because we don't care about you. But God has instructions on how we, the believer, are to take the Lord's Supper in a holy way. And if you're an unbeliever here, there's no greater day than for us to tell you, I promise this, as Powell's Chapel, we will be a community that's always available to you, that will make sacrifices to you, that you'll see our faith, and you will experience worship to a holy God. And that's you this morning. If the Spirit is prompting your heart to surrender your will and your life and your soul over Him, there's no better this, this, a opportunity than to give your life to Him. You see, the gospel says this, that because of my sin, I'm apart from Christ Jesus. And then he sacrificed his, his self, the body, and poured out his blood to make a new covenant, a new promise for me, the lost sinner. And I will place my trust that he will do for me what I could not do for myself, and that's to save my wretched soul. You see, but the gospel doesn't stop there. The gospel then says to us, to you, you now must live your life in a holy manner. You must live your life the way he tells us in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. You want to be in my kingdom? This is how you're to live your life. There is a way that God's called us, the believer, to live. And so don't think this is some cheap get out of hell free card. No, this is way more than that. This is saying to God, if you place your hope and your faith in Him this morning, that I'll live my life totally surrendered to you. If that's you this morning, please find me, find one of the deacons, so that we can walk you through what does the gospel really mean. Church, Powell's Chapel, let us be a community that would live available to lost people, that would live sacrificial and all of our money, our time, everything for lost people. Let us have the faith that says Jesus can do for them what he did for me. And then let us worship a holy God. Let us be a worshipful place. Let me pray to the Lord. God, you've called us to live on mission. To live on mission with you. And your mission has never changed. To glorify you to know you and then to make you known. I pray that we'd be a community of people, that would be a loving community, first in the four walls of this place, that we, this church, would really be the church, that there'd be no more division in our church, God, that we'd be a unified body that loves and cares for one another. And in that love and care for one another, God, we'd put all of our desires to the side God, we'd sacrifice so much to live in unity with one another. It will take sacrifice. But God, that we'd be a loving community. That our only agenda is to know you and to make you known. And so God, if this morning we're holding on to anything, any bitterness, any resentment, any hatred for anyone inside the four walls of this place, God, that will never fulfill your mission. God, you break our hearts of those places. God, as we come to your table, through the Lord's Supper, you would remind us of what you've done for us. You sacrificed your body. You poured out your blood for us so that we could have an ever 
lasting relationship with you. And that will change everything in us. Lead us as a church, God. Let us be a loving, missional community to this city and around the world. Pray this in Christ's name.